0: Hey, logo geeks! Ian Padgett here, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Melissa Yeager about the one logo concept. But before we dive into the interview, I want to say thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. FreshBooks is an invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for freelancers and small business owners that's simple, intuitive and keeps you way more organized than using things like Excel spreadsheets. You can quickly and easily create invoices, get paid and manage your expenses too. As it's tax season, now is the best time to give FreshBooks a try. And you can do that with a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter LogoGeek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So, as mentioned, this week we're going to be discussing the one logo concept. Most designers tend to present options to their clients, but a few years back, the One Logo concept became a really big discussion topic online after Sean McCabe created a whole campaign to encourage designers to present just one design. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at logogeek.uk forward slash 4.7. Whilst the arguments for presenting only one logo were really strong and the idea really desirable personally I've still opted at the moment anyway to present options and I'm aware that a large number of other designers have done the same despite reading all of that content. For me this is mainly because I don't always believe there to be only one solution and because I like to involve the client in the decision making process too as they know their business better than i ever could i also feel that this is an easier process to integrate when you're working on something like hand lettering and when you have a very set style like i i feel that sean does a few weeks back, the one logo concept was discussed again in the Logo Geek community and a blog by a designer called Melissa Yeager was shared where she discussed how she learned of the one logo concept from Sean and shared her original concerns, but she's been able to successfully implement this into her process and she's now a huge advocate for the one Lego approach as Melissa is a practicing designer day-to-day unlike Sean who now focuses on creating content and community I wanted to hear her take on the topic which is why I invited her on the podcast in this interview, we take a deep dive discussion on the One Logo concept with Melissa Yeager, where she shares her process and how she's been able to make it work. So let's just jump straight into this. Here is the interview with Melissa Yeager. Can you briefly give us an overview of what the One Logo concept is?
1: Sure. So, um, it the name is a little bit self-explanatory. So in the design industry, it's common practice for designers to present their clients with more than one option when they're doing branding work. So usually it's um, two to three, uh, sometimes up to five, depending on the experience level, it can be several logo options that the client can then choose from moving forward throughout the branding process. How the one concept or the one logo approach works is that instead of presenting uh, multiple options for the client, you're presenting one solution. So based on um, everything that you've learned about the client and all the strategy that you've done up front, you're presenting one single logo. Now, there are a lot of caveats to that statement since uh, there's a lot of strategy that goes in ahead of time. And when I say one logo, it may be... One kind of logo concept that has a couple different orientations and secondary marks. So you hear one logo and it sounds very drastic in black and white, but there's a lot of uh, nuances that go into the approach and making it actually functionally work for clients.
0: Sure. So can I just ask you, from your perspective, now that you've been using this one logo, um, one logo concept process, mm-hmm. what's the problem with presenting options?
1: Mm -hmm. So I think that it's totally dependent on your experience level uh, working with clients because I know that when I first... Um, graduated from design school and I was kind of getting my bearings in working in design with actual clients instead of these hypothetical projects. You kind of have to develop a certain level of your your um, technical skills and your level of empathy to kind of actually figure out what the client is looking for and what's appropriate for them. But once you're at that level of experience where you, you have a good sense of getting... Uh, Clients what they want, and you have the design experience to back up like what intelligent design decisions are. the uh, The problem with options becomes. That when you're giving clients multiple local options, it doesn't exactly set you up as the design expert. And as we all know, it's a heavy frustration for so many designers that the client is constantly undermining them. They're constantly making them feel like a design puppet. They're always asking for endless revisions and the... Um, the designer ends up getting very frustrated because they don't feel like they're being treated as the expert and that the client doesn't uh kind of respect their process and their opinion, but when you're presenting options, you're kind of putting the client in that subjective role where all of a sudden we forgot about all of the project goals and the target audience. And you're saying to the client, hey, which do you like more, A or B? So in that sense, as soon as the client's set up to choose, they kind of kick out of the objective perspective and into subjective where they're thinking like, hey, I really like... The swash on that are better than I like the way that this is aligned with that. So they kind of get caught up in the nitty gritty of the details rather than the actual goals of the brand and everything that you're setting out to do. So kicking them into subjective mode is one problem. And then the other problem is anytime you're showing a client multiple logo options especially when they're out of context. So the client is just seeing the logo and not necessarily how it might be applied. When they're looking at two different options that are both uh, kind of geared towards their brand, they start to pick out different elements that they like from both of them. And then just assume that you can combine those things into one like master Phenomenal monster logo, and that's what ends up happening is that that's how we get those like hodgepodge Frankenstein solutions where the clients like I don't understand why you can't just describe, uh, combine the things I like from A and B and make the ultimate logo, uh, but that's like as all of us know it doesn't work that way. So uh, the the beauty of the one concept approach is you can kind of keep the client in objective strategy focused mode, and then also not end up with. Kind of endless cycles of revisions or uh, like kind of Frankenstein logo solution.
0: Yeah, I think every graphic designer has probably been there and done that and, uh, you know, had their project turned into a uh, Frankenstein, like you said. Yeah. So this one logo concept sounds really good. But in the back of my mind, I've always had some concerns. And that's the reason why I still have why I still present options. Mm -hmm. um but in that blog that you wrote you did say that you were skeptical at first Mm -hmm. so I'd love to know from you what was your concerns for not taking this route because it really does sound like an absolute no-brainer to do doesn't it Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well uh the biggest thing honestly is that the design industry as a whole doesn't work this way so this is kind of a kind of like the black sheet process, even though once you have tried it, it's like, I can't imagine working another way. But initially there's so much pushback from the design community because it's funny because all of us imagine that clients would be outraged and what if they hate it? And what if they just outright refuse to work this way and um, they want to see options and, all of us imagine that these clients are, couldn't possibly go along with having one concept presented to them. So because the industry as a whole kind of tends to work with options, it's, it, you kind of have a lot of like um, imposter syndrome that kind of revolves around, well, now I'm going to do all this work on my end and narrow it down to this one solution. And then what if the client hates it? Or what if they feel like they're not getting their money's worth? And now one of the things that I forgot to mention earlier is that a lot of the times when we do develop that kind of like experience level and we know we're making smart design decisions, a lot of us have a kind of like favorite option when we are doing options where you're like, this is the one I know this works the best. Um, I really hope they pick this one. But a lot of times, because you have to round out your set of options, you have to create another one. So a lot of times you will present like a lame duck option where then the client ends up picking or liking elements of that lame duck option where then uh, you're forced to either compromise on what you know to be the best solutions and the best uh, approach for your client or they end up choosing this thing that you is basically your nightmare. When it, in reality, it's not the client's fault for choosing it; it's our fault for presenting it in the first yeah. place. So, and and another thing is that um, with options, a lot of the time you're forced to spread all of your good ideas mm-hmm. out among those options, whereas in the one concept approach. Um, you can, instead of uh, spreading those ideas out across multiple logo options, you're uh, spreading those ideas out across the full brand identity. So you have some things working in the logo. You have some things working in secondary marks. Maybe there's um, like a design motif or custom pattern that pulls in other elements. So the client can start to see uh, how It goes beyond the logo and how you're setting up a full identity system for them that functionally works really well together and that that uh, focus on like application is the most important part to like actually show the client this is how everything would work together this is how it would achieve your goals this is how it's in line with the strategy because them just seeing a logo floating on a white page doesn't really tell them a lot and even though i think like a lot of designers have that like brilliant foresight where we can picture all the amazing ways they can use our work. Clients can't do that. So they're looking at a logo on a blank page and saying, okay, like it doesn't feel like it's got a lot going on. Like what did this designer really do? Or they just can't imagine that it could be letter pressed on business cards and like made into this really amazing signage and whatnot. Um, So I believe that answered your question I think I kind of went on a tangent there
0: (laughs) (laughs) um okay so earlier in the conversation you actually Mm -hmm. mentioned that there are some caveats to doing this process Mm -hmm. so I do have other questions but I think it's it's worth asking you if you can talk through the the process of how you work Mm -hmm. and explain some of these caveats that you mentioned because I think that will probably answer a lot of my questions and a lot of questions that people do have in the back of their mind so would it be okay to talk through your process using the the one logo concept
1: absolutely so um with the one logo concept, uh, one of the caveats and kind of keys for me is that I'm not just designing a logo for the client. I'm designing a full brand identity. And there's a um, like for, for me, I called that my signature brand identity package and everyone calls it something a little bit different. But the essence of it is that the in terms of final deliverables, the client's not only getting a logo, they're getting primary and a secondary logo, maybe some secondary marks. They're getting a typography system that's like set up in a in a nice hierarchy that they know how to use going forward. They're getting brand guidelines that show them how to use the logo. And they're getting um from the very beginning, a brand strategy that kind of establishes uh, their goals for the brand and how it speaks to their target audience and whatnot. So so first of all, uh, the one logo concept for it to actually work, it needs to be more than one logo. So it's kind of misleading. So uh, <laughs> the uh, process for it to actually work needs to, from the start, uh, have the proper expectations set up with your client. So The uh, my process I'll run through now is um, what I tend to I have it listed out on my website in pretty great detail, and then as soon as a client uh submits an inquiry on my website where I ask them to give me some more information to get to know them and whether or not we'll be a good fit or not, once um. A client would get to the point where we would choose to move forward, I would set up a call and again, talk them through this process in more detail. Because again, one of the most important things... For this approach working is having clear expectations that your client can't be disappointed if they know what's coming and if they know what final deliverables they're going to get and if they know what to expect all along the way. So when you have those clear expectations set up, of course, if a client is expecting options and then you're like, surprise, here's one then they'll be disappointed and then you'll get backlash. But if this is something that you set up from the beginning, that this is how you work, this is what the client gets, this is what they can expect when, that's when the process tends to be successful. So... From the beginning, once a client signs on and they paid the deposit and they sign the contract, then I have them fill out a comprehensive brand questionnaire that asks them all kinds of questions. So it is not like your typical um, like short questionnaire that says like what do you have Pinterest board and uh, like what's the name of your business and. Like, what what are your favorite colors? So it's not not like eight questions. It's like eight pages of questions to start without the client filling it out. And then could be like upwards of like 15 to 20 pages once they actually fill out the full questionnaire. So it goes very in-depth. And I think a lot of designers sometimes get nervous about scaring their clients away by asking too much of them. But this is a really involved process. And you want to get to know your client and their business and their goals as well as possible, because then you can do your job in the best way possible. So they run through this um, brand questionnaire. They typically, I typically give them around a week to fill it out. And then... They uh, send that back to me via uh, my project management software, and then I review it all in depth, take notes, write down questions. We set up a kick up kickoff call where we talk through um, any questions to follow up, and I ask follow up questions to clarify things. Um, and then we would also go through kind of like the visual direction for the brand, the the questionnaire itself also kind of lends itself to that where we um, we ask like what kind of vibe they're going for. We ask about their target audience, their future goals. Um, we also ask about, uh, I say we, and I work for myself and by myself. So. <laughs> so, so me and myself are asking the client all these questions, but I do ask like, do you have a Pinterest board of things that are inspiring to you? And one of the important things in that arena is to ask the client, like, what do you like about these things you're showing me and why? And then you can start to draw parallels between the visual elements that the clients are attracted to. And then also pieces of their brand story and their target audience and their goals and see how those things start to align and might coincide with each other. So you can start to like kind of connect the dots. Um, another great thing for me is that I take on clients, not great for me. It's it's me being pickier. Um, I only take on clients who want to work with me specifically and like the kind of work I do. So then again, that's another reason that the one concept approach is more successful because I know that the clients are looking for the type of work that I do and they're not expecting me to reproduce what some other designer did. Um, And also my clients tend to be creative entrepreneurs. So generally, they have good taste, which is really helpful. Uh, So, But even then, sometimes like clients, again, can't picture what we can picture and how things might coincide with each other. So you kind of have to guide them through, like, maybe that's not appropriate here and here's why. Like, if a client is like, watercolor, I want a watercolor logo. You can explain to them why that's a terrible idea because depending on... The, uh, the different contexts in which they'll want to use their logo, you could have like secondary watercolor elements, but a watercolor logo is not going to lend itself to uh, being like printed in all the different ways they might potentially need their logo printed effectively. So you can kind of educate as you go.
0: (laughs) I I think it's really good that that you said that because I like what you're doing. You are asking all of the questions about the business, but you're also asking Mm -hmm. about personal preference, personal taste and stuff like that. And I know, and you know this as well, Mm -hmm. um, a logo design is not, we're not designing it for the client, Mm-hmm. designing it for the target audience but I do yes. think it's important to find out the um client's expectations and what they imagine and how they see things taking shape because at the end of the day they are the ones that are going to be using it and and applying it and I like that you're having those conversations with the client really early on to say mm-hmm. this isn't going to work with what you're doing and you can explain why so you can kind of get those ideas out the way and um focus on a better direction you're being really clear up front with communication and i think that's fantastic anyway i'll let you carry on
1: yeah, and another thing too is to always look at the type of client you're working with too. So I'm working with creative small businesses, so so much of the time my clients um there's a certain amount of overlap between themselves and their brand. So a lot of times their stylistic preferences lend themselves to how the brand looks. So oh, yeah. it's kind of like you have to feel your way around for how just how much overlap there is between your client and their brand in terms of style, because sometimes it's like the uh, the client it has a business that has nothing to do with their personal preferences, and you kind of have to guide them out of what they like, um, and and continually remind them like we're not designing for you, we're designing for your target audience and your goals. But sometimes the the brand is kind of um, like the client is the linchpin of the brand and their personal style dictates a lot of what happens in the brand. So you kind of have to feel that out.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. I agree. Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, after they fill out the questionnaire, I review it, we go through and get on the same page with everything. I distill all of those crazy amount of pages down and the, all the stylistic inspiration down into a two-page brand strategy. So the first page is literally text uh, consolidated uh, brand strategy that talks about their creative considerations, target audience, future goals, um, their objectives, the kind of brand essence. And basically, clients have all of these thoughts that about their brand and about who they want to be and what their values are, that they have trouble taking a step back and solidifying all of that into something that's like actually digestible. So it sounds silly that it's one page because I know plenty of designers who do like much more involved packets of brand strategy. But what I've found is that by distilling it all down into one page, it makes it so much more digestible for the client and then they feel really seen and understood because they can for the first time like take all of their scatterbrain thoughts that have developed over how ma- however many years of them owning their business and see it all in one place as kind of like a consolidated simplified roadmap. So the first page is all text and then the second page is essentially like a mood board where it speaks to, um, it's like a grid of images that would speak to Uh, tone, color palette, uh, any illustration or lettering styles, any visual subject matter, um, uh, color palette and tone and those kind of things. I think I'm repeating myself a little bit, but there's a lot of overlap in terms of the images. uh, And I try to uh, choose images that apply to as many as possible. So when you look at the, uh, kind of like brand board as a whole, you get an overall sense of the color palette of the tone of the audience we're talking to, of the values. Um, so that mood board kind of gives us uh, a stylistic direction of where we're heading. Whereas the brand strategy gives us a kind of content, um, focus kind of idea of where we're heading. So there's one round of refinement built into that part of the process. So the client looks through everything and I accompany the brand strategy with explanations of what everything is. Um, The brand strategy page is pretty self-explanatory, but I'll talk them through why I chose the images I did for the, the stylistic inspiration page. Um, And make sure that they know that this is where we're heading color palette wise. This is the audience we're talking to. These are the values. This is the different stylistic elements we're talking about potentially incorporating or the types of typefaces. Like maybe we're going modern and fresh. So we're going sans serif, or maybe they're looking for something that's really unique and sophisticated and um, like a little bit more feminine. So we're going like customs lettering. That's going to be in a script.
0: Can I just um, can I just quickly ask about that? Um, sure. I know at that point you're presenting the the mood board and and the strategy, and you mentioned that you do one change within that. So you present mm-hmm. it and then you give the client the the option to amend it if if it's for whatever reason it's not mm-hmm. going in the right direction. What's the reason why you only do one? Is there mm-hmm. is there a reason for doing that?
1: I've found that so throughout the rest of the process, once we get into actual design, so it's important to note that we're a good deal into the design, into the branding process now. And yeah. I haven't touched design like the client has not seen any designs from me. So that's really important. But um, I've found that one Uh, round of refinement is all that's kind of necessary in the brand strategy phase. Um, Through the design parts of the phase, I tend to include two just so there is a little bit more collaboration. But because I'm essentially taking the client's own words and just summarizing everything and... um, Taking their stylistic inspiration and mixing it with some of my own work and my own uh, inspiration that I've curated, I find that one uh, round of refinement tends to be enough for me. But if it is something where you're trying it for the first time, you could always include two. And then if you feel good about it, uh, you could like scale back to one.
0: Yeah, sure. I was going to ask you, um, so if they did want more than that one, would you Mm -hmm. just do that as some kind of additional cost to that project? Yeah, sure. That makes total sense. So the
1: the brand, um, because another thing designers run into all the time is that they get caught in these endless cycles of revisions. So being really clear about how many rounds of revisions or refinements, whatever you're calling it, I call it refinements, um, you're including in the process is really important. So you have, um, I have a fixed price for the package and then that includes a certain round of refinements during each part of the process. And then if the client wants to go outside of that, they have to understand that it will like delay the schedule accordingly and that there's going to be extra costs associated with it so I tend to handle that hourly
0: yeah, um, yeah. and just I, tell I, the client I like what you said with that because it means that you are keeping full control of it and I think anyone yes. that's that's listening to this that doesn't already have that in there you have to do it otherwise yes. you're getting situations I've been in that situation when I first started out where I thought okay I'm happy to do unlimited changes mm-hmm. because I used to work for an agency where um, where they had this problem. And I thought I, I thought I could solve that problem. And I thought I could control it. But there are Mm -hmm. people out there that will literally just take the mick and just want change after change after change Mm -hmm. after change. So you have to have that in there. And I like that you just have the one you are literally saying no, we just that's, you get one chance to change. And that should be enough, like that you said, because you should get that right from the outset based on all the communication you had. And if it's Mm -hmm. not quite right, And hopefully it's just a, you know, slightly not quite right. You can then have Mm -hmm. conversations and then make it very specific based on that feedback. And I really like that you've got that, you've got that level of control, which is really good.
1: Definitely. And it's all, it all kind of works together, setting those clear expectations and having really specific guidelines for what's included all kind of lends itself to setting you up as the design expert who is in control. And a lot of times when you're, when you're curating your client roster and only taking on clients that are respectful and looking for your type of work specifically, um, they are happy to hand over control and to be guided through this process. Cause most of them have never been through a rebrand or a, like a professional branding process before. And a lot of times clients that I've had that have been through it before have been through it with a, a designer who didn't take as much control. And then they just tell me how much they appreciate how organized the process is, how they always know what they can expect. And that uh, like we're constantly meeting those expectations because it doesn't sound that complicated, but I'm constantly in awe that businesses that I interface with every day in like home and work and life, it's, it's really not that hard to just tell a client what to expect and then just deliver on it. And but you'd be amazed like how how what rave reviews you can achieve by just doing what you say you're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, another thing is too that the. Um, A lot of times I've noticed that the clients that want the endless revisions are also the clients that give you a lot of pushback on your price initially. So that's definitely a red flag to look out for. If somebody doesn't see the value in what you're doing and isn't willing to pay what you want to charge them for it, that is a major red flag going forward for the process. Because those clients that are really financially paranoid tend to be really paranoid throughout the process of getting their money's worth. And then they tend to be the ones that always are like scope creepers and want to get those extra rounds for free. So just be on the lookout for those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you carry on with your process because I've interrupted slightly. So we got to the point where (laughs) you created the strategy, you created that mood board. Mm -hmm. The clients agreed it. So what do you Mm -hmm. do next?
1: Mm -hmm. So the client approves it. And then I use that as a jumping off point to dig into actually designing the brand. So this starts with me with like an onslaught of blank art boards. And what I tend to do is pull in my visual mood board. And then I start sampling colors from it. I start just playing around with the client's brand name set in different typefaces that kind of feel like the right direction for where we've talked about going. And then I just experiment and iterate from there. So I'm constantly just like copying things over and adjusting a little bit and then copying and adjusting and copying and adjusting. And then eventually like for me it I'm I'm don't claim to ever be a fast designer and it's kind of part of my process to take a lot of time to do my uh, branding work because I believe that it's kind of like a luxury experience. So clients are willing to invest the time in it. And I think that designers who can work really fast and uh, do things quickly, it's amazing for them, but I am not one of those people. (laughs) So uh, it typically takes me like eight to 16 hours for a first round. And like knowing that from years of experience is really nice because we all have that portion of usually the first like, Seven to ten hours of a first round that I'm designing is everything I create is terrible. I hate this i'm I'm gonna disappoint the client they're gonna they're never gonna like love this and then eventually things start clicking and falling into place and working and then all of a sudden you have something you kind of like and then as you work on it from there, it just gets better and better and it just gets to that point where I feel like I have a well, a lot of us do, we have more like intuitive process where it's like I know it's done when I get that feeling when it's yeah. like, yes, this is the one
0: <laughs> yeah, I like what you said then because mm. i I experience the same thing, like even though yes. I, I've been a graphic designer now, it's coming up to like nearly fifteen years now, it's been yeah. some time, but I still start on projects, and I might have an entire day where I just think everything is awful, I hate this yeah. i I shouldn't be doing this, I'm not a good designer, and then suddenly yeah. you get to that that one idea that sparked from everything you know you have to go through that whole process of coming up with ideas and creating different things and sketching different ideas it can all be trash but then you get that one gold piece and like you said you keep fine-tuning it polishing it Mm -hmm. and it just becomes better and better and that's when everything just kind of you know you you get an explosion of ideas and it all stems from there and it just keeps getting better like like you said
1: Definitely. Yeah. And that's so important to know too, as you're going through the process, like it's so helpful to me now to just be like, all right, I'm in the messy middle and I'm not going to like anything I do for a bit until like, until you do. (laughs) Uh, but so I'll like iterate and go through. And then once I get to the point where I start creating things that make sense together and they feel, Really, in line with the brand strategy and what I'm looking to create for the client, then i um will start to apply those elements where i'm I tend to design in color from from the get go just because I feel like it gives me a better feel for the brand um and and like obviously you're gonna want the logo to work in black and white, like all of us know that, but the client doesn't need to see that like the the client is hiring you as the expert and you should like be doing that on the back end, like knowing it works in black and white. Um, what's going to really make the difference and sell the client on your design is seeing it in application. So I tend to lay out for my client, the brand hierarchy of what they're looking at. So I, we may have a, um, a primary logo that's more of a horizontal orientation and then a secondary logo that's maybe a circle or it's a little bit more, um, Uh, like square oriented. And then there were secondary marks that maybe there's a monogram or an icon that kind of like has the feeling of the whole brand. Um, So there's all of these different elements and and you kind of lay out for the client, like in terms of hierarchy, this is where everything falls. And then the, um, the remainder of the kind of client proof. So this is like a separate file. I have like my play file or like my working files where it's just like an explosion of ideas on artboards, And then and then I start to solidify from there and start to apply things. So everything in the client proof is really organized. And what I tend to do is to remind the client of what, what we're doing together and where we came from. I include elements from the brand strategy to start off the client proof. So I'll include the brand objective. I'll include include... include how it's how uh the brand that they're about to see is going to speak to the target audience and kind of achieve the style and goals that they're going for and then i'll present the the brand uh showing it to them in context with maybe it's the primary logo but it has uh one of the secondary marks included with it and they work really well together and then um showing it not just on white, but showing it on various like background colors, showing it on a photograph, and then using mock-ups to your advantage. Mock-ups can be super powerful. Like clients love seeing uh, their logo as signage. They love seeing their logo on business cards, on note cards, on things like that, and like on a mug. Um, So there's a lot of ways you can take the work that you've done and the logo and brand elements that you've created and kind of mock them up or show them an application on pages to give the client an idea of, like, where they might use these things. Like, I've done seamless patterns for brands that then I'll do a mock-up of those on custom tissue paper in a bag, and, like, it blows the client's mind. (laughs) And meanwhile, you're like, of course they could use it on custom tissue paper or an envelope liner or, like, wallpaper on a wall. But, um, like, you know, you have all these things in your mind, but you have to communicate that visually to the client because um, they can't necessarily picture that. So I feel like the, the, um, client proof that I'm sharing is like a third strategy reminders, a third, like here are your brand elements, and then a third application. Like, so all of those work together to not only present what you've created, but also show the client, this is how everything starts to work together. So again, It's not just one logo that they're like, surprise, here it is on, on white on one page. It's, um, showing the client how that logo works with their color palette, how it works with their typography system, like how it might work if they wanted to have, um, like an announcement where they have like a primary heading and a secondary heading and some body copy with the logo or one of the marks included on it. What if they want to share like an inspirational quote on social media and there's um, uh, they want to include some element of their branding with that so all of that tends to be really helpful and then I also tend to I include three pieces of collateral in my brand uh, in my branding package so if the client chooses to do like a set of icons, I tend to design those with the brand um, the brand identity itself, and then the rest of the uh, collateral I tend to design once the brand is approved. So heading back to the, uh, the uh, client proof, what I do is I once that is in a really good place, and I'm ready to deliver it on the day that I've told the client, I'm going to deliver it. I have a call set up with the client where um, I'm going to present the brand to them. So not only am I Having multiple pages within the proof that dial back to the strategy and rationale and uh, speak to why I'm designing the things I'm designing and why they're appropriate for the client. But I'm also scheduling a call where I'm going to walk them through this proof as they see it for the first time. So I tend to not send the proof to the client until like around 15 minutes before our call. So literally, as they open it up, they're seeing it for the first time with me walking them through it just so they don't have the extra time to show it to their husband or their niece who's a design student, or like some random colleague who maybe doesn't have their audience and their strategy and their goals in mind. So it's really helpful for me to, first of all, I just really like seeing the client's reaction when they see all of this for the first time, because it's a logical jump for me to go from the brand strategy to the brand designs. But the client is always like in awe of how you kind of created something from nothing. So that part's really fun, but it's also really important to like kind of color their impressions of the brand from the very beginning and be able to walk them through step by step so that they know um, why you did the things you did and how it's in line with everything you've talked about up until this point. So you're not just arbitrarily choosing the color green. You chose this specific green because of these reasons, um, so then I'll present that to the client. They have a couple days to like, let everything marinate and to sit with the designs. And then they offer me feedback. Uh, and then there's two rounds of refinement built in, in the brand identity phase. So they would give me feedback if I feel like I need to hop on a call and talk through anything with them. I will otherwise i um, kind of refine anything that needs to be adjusted. And then, um, Uh, share the second proof. Again, they will take a couple days, let uh, all of that marinate and then offer me feedback. And then I'll make any final adjustments when I send them the final proof. And then they're responsible to approve it. But if there's any other things that they feel like we just needed to work a little bit more on something, they can go outside the scope and um, we can work hourly to make those final adjustments if necessary. But I find that because the brand is so um, comprehensive and because they're seeing how everything is working together, I find that I hardly ever have anyone go outside of the two rounds of refinement.
0: I just want to take a short break to tell you more about FreshBooks who has sponsored the Logo Geek podcast and without them it simply would not be possible. I remember when I started out as a designer taking on my own projects I was creating my own invoices in InDesign and I was keeping a log of my money in an Excel spreadsheet. That was fine at first but with more projects it was just taking too much time and tracking expenses in excel was becoming quite messy and confusing but then i tried fresh books and it changed everything invoices that used to take you know 5-10 minutes now took around 30 seconds to create my profits and expenses were also nicely organized too and i i just immediately felt so much more organized and more professional in the process if you're not yet using an accounting software I highly recommend that you give FreshBooks a go and if you're listening now you can get a free 30-day trial and there's no strings attached you don't need to enter any credit card details to try it out all you need to do is head over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about section to get started. Now let's get back to that interview. I really like the changes that you made to the, the the process that Sean Wes presented mm-hmm. when he did the options because he, he literally does everything and then gives mm-hmm. it to them and they can't, the, the client cannot interact or give any feedback or anything. It's just that's it, done, go away pretty yeah. much. That's That's what his process is. But I like that you've made it more real um Mm -hmm. because it it was one of the things i didn't particularly like about his process that he's literally coming out with a solution and not letting the client have any Mm -hmm. say i like that Mm -hmm. you are including those changes you are giving the opportunity to um, make tweaks if needed it's it's a much Mm -hmm. more realistic solution to uh, what he did
1: and you and i were kind of alluding to this um In our conversation, but I think that because Sean does so much lettering work, and he kind of has an established style that he's known for, I feel like that kind of would work for him that people would want the Sean West style, and he would do that for them. And then there's no reason to include rounds of refinement or revision. But... For something like branding where every client is different, and there's so many nuances and there's color palette and there's typography and there's secondary elements and there's um, different ways that like even with a 15 page brand questionnaire, there might be contexts where the client is going to use this logo that I haven't thought of and they didn't think to tell me until they saw page eight of the proof or something like that. So I find that the branding process, like you kind of, as a brand designer, you have to be a little bit of a chameleon where you're able to kind of like put on the style and the needs of your clients and kind of create for those specifically. But even with as much preparation as you can do in the very beginning of the process, things inevitably tend to come up throughout the Actual strategy and uh, branding, brand design parts of the process where a client just all of a sudden thinks to tell you something that they didn't think to tell you before. So I find that the process, it's really important to me too. I, I prefer to work more collaboratively and I view the branding process as more of an evolution that, of course, like... I would create nice looking things if I just did it myself without uh, including rounds of refinement, but it wouldn't be exactly the right solution and fine tuned in the way they need it unless I offer them kind of the wiggle room and the space to um, kind of work together to make it exactly what they need.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's really good because I've I've had instances where I've worked with clients, I've presented something that I felt was really strong, but mm-hmm. having conversations because you're working on strategy and you can actually have conversations about that strategy, they know mm-hmm. their business way more than you do. They know their audience, they know more about their business than you could ever know even if you spent like a month researching it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's useful having their feedback. And I've most cases personally, I don't know if you have this, tend mm-hmm. to come up with a better solution anyway, you know, with the combined feedback. So I I do think it's really important to include the, the client in that and give the opportunity for those changes. Um yes. so that that cleared out one of the concerns I I, I had. Um, I want to ask you now that we've gone through that whole process, one one yes. thing that I I wanted to ask you so at the moment I present options I am really uh-huh. keen on doing the the one logo uh, concept but like you said mm-hmm. I, I think it, need, it needs to run through your entire process from uh, the content on your website through to your process and everything else so mm-hmm. for, for me I have to make a lot of changes to apply that so that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I haven't changed it but mm-hmm. um, one of the main concerns I have is is a worry that I would get lazy um because I because I am currently presenting options what mm-hmm. I typically do is I present three b- between three and five that I feel work well based on brief um mm-hmm. I create a strategy as well so I'm working towards I call them goals I create almost like a tick list of of goals but it's basically a strategy um mm-hmm. and because I'm presenting options sometimes I'll sit down I can work on it for a few hours and then I come to the best idea that I've ever had for this for this identity and I'm like that is the logo they have to pick that one that's what they're going to go for and that's when I get those moments like I wish I'm doing the one concept approach and I wish I could just present that Mm -hmm. and um, then I'm forced to create more options and I know you said that sometimes you create this rubbish logo just to include options but sometimes Mm -hmm. I will start exploring options outside of the box. I really start pushing the the boundaries of, of what's in there. And I actually come up with a solution that's so much better, that works better in application. When I test it, it's just a much better solution. If mm-hmm. I was to present one solution, I wouldn't have done that. So do you have anything in your process to ab- avoid being lazy like that? <laughs>
1: definitely. So I think it's I think it's definitely part of all of us that you have to create those ugly things up front
0: yeah. <laughs> to kind of get it <laughs>
1: out of the way and just get something down. But um I think that uh, a lot of the time, I'll know that there are different, like I want there to be different elements that I want to include in the brand that I like want it to be modern and fresh and sophisticated. So there's different ways that I can do that while balancing the logo elements and the typefaces I'm using in the color palette. So maybe the color palette's really sophisticated, but the logo's look like a little bit more fun. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that the way that I make sure I'm not being lazy is that I will give myself like, I don't put any pressure on myself to like decide on a logo really quickly. Uh, I, I know that I want to experiment for at least like five to eight hours and to, um, to just like create and iterate until I have something I feel really good about. And then doing that application is really where I, double check and make sure that I'm not being lazy and that the logo will actually work and and generally like it's an intuitive process for me so I I feel like I just know when I when I hit the right design that's going to work and I just kind of like get this magical feeling from it that like it just gives you like the chills that you're like okay yeah this works really well I love how these type uh, how these typefaces work along with the logo. I love how this color palette's working. And um, instead of, like I um, like I was saying earlier, instead of spreading those ideas that I would use potentially um, in different logo options, I spread those out to different elements of the brand. So maybe the... The um, logo is a little bit more conservative, but there's a really fun pattern for the brand. And just having all of those elements that you're creating and seeing how they uh, work and play together, you kind of get a sense of like, is this the right balance for the client? Is this, um, does everything feel Appropriate when it's all put together, or does it feel like a little bit off? Like, does the logo feel too conservative and stuffy compared to the rest of the brand? Or um, does this typeface from the logo just not feel right? Or does it feel like I'm trying too hard? Like, there's like a bunch of ligatures in here, and it's just like a little too much going on with everything else that we're working with. So, I think that. The application is the key for me where I test to make sure that everything feels appropriate together. And it's kind of like a system of checks and balances where um, you can kind of tell when you put everything together, as opposed to just see, like looking at the logo on the page by itself. You can see that once we're trying it on a business card or we're trying to apply it with an inspirational quote or some. Um, like body copy you can see whether it's actually working in context or not
0: mm. yeah I, I totally agree with that because I've um personally a lot of my projects mm-hmm. because Lego Geek has been a side venture I've only worked on Legos for quite a long time but one thing I'm trying to do now is work on more Branding, you know, brand identity. So not just mm-hmm. working on that logo. And I, I've literally had a project uh, this past week where I started doing that testing, where I, applying the the logo on like business card on signage on um mm-hmm. you know t- it, was, it was for a property company so it's on two let signs lots of different things and we found the the logo was working really well on the two let sign but when I started mm-hmm. putting it on the business card the subheading was just it, you, you couldn't really see it and you need it mm-hmm. needed to be bigger so because mm-hmm. I'm actually using it I was able just to tweak that make that update and update that across the board so I do think testing and applying that logo to different things and, and testing the extremities of how it's going to be used in small sizes, large sizes. You can, you can basically really fine tune that, that mark and you can never do that working on the, the, the logo in isolation. So personally, I, I, don't really want to just work on on the 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 logo anymore um Mm -hmm. I'd like to work on more but obviously I need to change my uh the way that I present my business and the content pretty much in the way that you've done because you do it really nicely you know you know looking through your website what you're going to get what the process looks like um Mm -hmm. and uh I think that's needed and I think what you're doing is fantastic so thank you for sharing your process um I noticed that you include prices on your website, and I know that's generally not recommended to to do. I've spoken with lots of different graphic designers about this, and people are always telling me when you are presenting prices, you're leaving money on the table. And then Mm -hmm. I've also heard counter arguments from clients actually that they don't know how much I charge and they think I'm too expensive, so they don't even get in touch. But Mm -hmm. they can actually afford me in most cases. So I'd really love to know your thoughts on this because you are presenting prices and I'd love to know why
1: Sure. So, um, I think within the design industry, it's kind of like a dark taboo topic: pricing. And for some reason, designers don't like like you have to be friends with another designer for them to tell you how much they're going, how much they charge. And it, it's like unnecessarily um, sketchy the whole pricing within the design industry when it it really makes sense because so many designers complain that clients don't value their work and don't know how much design costs when like how can we expect them to know how much design costs when no one posts their pricing (laughs) so for me there's a few different reasons why I chose to share my pricing um honestly from when I started my business I've uh Started my business in uh, January of 2016. And when I first started, I didn't have any pricing on my website. And I found that I got a lot of like bloggers who wanted a $200 logo and just were like on the way, way, way low end. And at a point, you just get sick of fielding those kind of, um, kind of like ill-informed inquiries, which like to no fault of their own, because how would they know looking at my website that only has a portfolio, how would they know how much design with me is going to charge or is going to cost? Um, so from there, I kind of like leveled up and was like, okay, I'm going to put budget ranges on my contact form and have it start at a certain point. So that was kind of like the mid range level where, um, maybe for me, I had it starting at two thousand dollars at that point or four thousand dollars, whatever it was. and but I would still get a couple people that like didn't get the hint <laughs> that this is the starting range and that if you like couldn't afford the starting range, then you probably couldn't afford to work with me. Um, but from there, as I launched looked at launching my new website, which I launched this past June, I realize that, um, I have built my brand and my, my, one of my philosophies is that I like being very open and transparent. And I like sharing kind of like my journey and how I do things in service of others so that like you can learn from, or so others can learn from like the mistakes I've made and from the things that I've done that I've, It's taken me a while to get here and I've made mistakes along the way, but now I've found this way to work that seems to really work for me and um, like hopefully save some people some time and headache and tears along the way if I can. So uh, I realized with my new website that I was sick of fielding inquiries from people that... um, potentially couldn't afford me. I was, I wanted to help clients better know what like quality design costs. And I wanted to give other designers a confidence boost for raising their own prices. Cause I found that most designers, since we don't talk about how much we charge, most designers don't charge enough. So it was kind of like this three Prong benefit where everyone wins. Where if I have my pricing on my website, then uh, it weeds out clients that can't afford it because they see how much it costs and they shouldn't contact me. And it says that, like, make sure on on my contact page, it says, make sure you review my services page first because it has details on price and scope right there for you. Um, So it weeds out those clients that don't value or can't afford. The my work. And um, it also teaches clients what to expect from a quality designer uh, in terms of like a one reference point for price. And then it also encourages other designers to raise their pricing and gives them a point of reference for like what someone with like potentially my experience level might charge for their design work. So I find, oh, and um, like (laughs) also very importantly, I'm a solopreneur So I run my business by myself. It's just me. And I don't have time to field a bunch of inquiries from ill-fitting clients. So having as much information and education on my website as possible helps me to save time and handle everything more efficiently where I don't have to worry about talking clients through... like every single part and philosophy of how and why I work the way I do, because it's all already on my website. So education is really important. But saying that over and over personally to each new client inquiry is just a waste of time, because some will really resonate and want to work together and some won't. And that's fine. And they're not the clients for me. But I find that it saves me a ton of time just having the uh, pricing on my website now. Some people would say that by putting my pricing on my website, I'm potentially uh, taking kind of it's it could be uh, a downside in one way that they don't talk to me first and like really connect with my personality and um, then like see the worth of my price later when I propose it to them that that they, after talking to me, they might be more. Able to invest or like more on board with investing a higher amount of money. But at the same time, again, like I'm one person, I only have so much time and I find that I put so much of myself into my website and into my blog posts and how I write and the uh, content I share and trying to like educate and share value as much as possible that I think you can get a lot of that from like just following me or subscribing to my newsletter or reading my blog posts. So um, for me, it's worth it to, uh, to kind of just have that price right there on the website and to get that sticker shock out of the way and uh one of my recent clients uh actually shared with me too she's like i it's it cuz it can be a very um it's a very vulnerable approach because all of a sudden you'll like, there's a severe drop in inquiries because everybody knows how much you cost. So like, they don't have to contact you to find out. So there's all these people that are potentially like considering hiring you, but you just don't know about them. So it's like this kind of like the bulk of the people, bulk of the iceberg is below the surface kind of thing. Um, But hearing from my recent client, like it was so nice having your price on your website and just being able to like, I found myself just going back to your website over and over again, because you clearly knew what you were doing. And I didn't have to have that awkward conversation with you, where you dropped a price on me, and then you were waiting for me to get back to you. But at the same time, I felt pressure. And she, she said she really appreciated not having to have that awkward exchange, where she like had to like tiptoe around my pricing and that all of it was just there. So that was really helpful to hear. And granted, like this will not be the approach for every designer and every client will not be like raring to just drop thousands of dollars on a logo. But I find that it's an efficient way to weed out clients that don't see the value and to also like kind of help everybody else in the design industry, industry, uh, realize that they could potentially be charging more and just like kind of give them confidence to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I, what I would add to that is I, I think you are showing prices, which obviously is slightly controversial, but mm-hmm. the, I think the, the the caveat with you is that you are clearly presenting exactly how your process works, the mm-hmm. reason why you're doing everything. You, your website is a really fantastic resource for learning more and understanding more. So you don't actually need to have a conversation with you. So I, I guess, uh, sorry, another question I do have for yeah. you around this is when you do have an inquiry, uh-huh. What percentage of them actually go ahead?
1: Um, very high. Like, yeah.
0: probably ninety
1: percent.
0: <laughs> <90% laughs> wow.
1: Probably, but at the same time, I my branding process is so much more involved that. And like, I take up to like, my process takes around three months. So I I've moved to only taking on one brand and client at a time. And it's, it's, it's kind of hard to speak to this right now, since I'm ready to I'm getting ready to like have our first child and go out on maternity leave. So I'm scaling back how much design work I'm taking on. Yeah. So, um, but typically the, the, um, the like sign on percentage is very high because, and the, the really cool thing too that I've noticed is when I do schedule that initial introduction call to talk my a client through my or a potential client through my process, I talk them through everything in even more detail than it is on my <laughs> website. And then finish with like, what questions can I answer? Like, is there anything you'd like to hear more about? Not everyone since the, like the new website has been like no I like I understand everything like I'm on board
0: <laughs> and it's yeah, pretty much it been <laughs> like no
1: questions which is amazing
0: yeah that's exactly what I was expecting yeah uh, we've nearly done an hour like uh, we're, we're nearly <laughs> at the end of our time so I'm gonna ask you mm-hmm. one last question if you could travel back in time and offer your younger self just one piece of advice what would the advice be
1: I think that it would be, um, to just trust that every part of my like life and design journey is important, even if it feels terrible at the time. So every experience that I'm going through, I've been through is important to making me the designer and person that I am today. So for example, um, I worked at like a couple studios that maybe didn't have the best practices and best management uh, kind of processes and weren't quite so empowering to people. So I never planned on starting my own business until I kind of looked at other people doing it that maybe weren't doing the best job and said like, well, if they could do it, I could definitely do it. And in those instances where I was like, arguably pretty unhappy at the time, um, I realized that I was learning a lot of what not to do. So it's it's good for, I would go back and tell myself that even if <laughs> you're arguably unhappy right now, you're learning things that will serve you later. So even the things that you learn what not to do can help guide you towards the path of like where you're supposed to be and what you're going to re- do really well down the line. So I think it's just trusting the journey and that even the not So uh, fun parts can lead you to some really amazing things. Mm,
0: That's that's really good advice for yourself. But I know that other people will uh, relate with that. Um, I I did. I related with that story. So I hope other people will too. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, Melissa, it's been really great chatting with you. Thank you so much for going through everything. What I would do is because I know that you've got courses and you have a blog and there's Mm -hmm. lots of stuff that you're doing. I want people to go and check that out. So what I would do is I will put links to everything in. In the show notes but if you do want to talk about that i'm happy to add that in um but otherwise thank you so much for your time it's been you know real pleasure to, to chat with you and um i really appreciate you diving into this topic has been really fascinating
1: sure um so thank you so much for having me and yeah you can find everything pretty much on my website which is melissa and then uh, as you can kind of tell from talking to me uh it's very important to me how I work just as much as who I work with and what I'm actually designing. So I, I find um, that balance between work and life and kind of uh, establishing yourself as an expert, so you can be more in your power when you're designing uh, has been really important for me. And so uh, kind of like making design career more sustainable and more enjoyable for yourself. So the things that I release and the way I work and the uh, products and classes I put out into the world are kind of all geared towards that, like helping people design more efficiently, helping them um, kind of become the expert that they know that they are, but they just haven't shown the world yet. So yeah, that you can find all that on my website
0: yeah it's really good i've really enjoyed your your blogs like i said um i hadn't actually heard of you until someone raised that blog and i do think your, your content is fantastic so i hope people will go and check that out well melissa thank you so much for coming on it's been really great chatting with you
1: absolutely thank you so much for having me
0: suck a fantastic interview melissa thank you so much for coming on Now, if you'd like to learn more about Melissa Yeager, head over to her website, melissayeager.com, where you'll be able to see her work, read her blog, which is amazing, by the way. And um, you can also find her training course for Adobe Illustrator, uh, brand guidelines, template and more. There's loads of really good resources there. So I definitely recommend checking that out. I'll also make sure to include links to that and any resources discussed in this interview along with a full transcription in the show notes for this episode and you can find those just by heading over to logogeek.uk forward slash 4.7 so what's your thoughts on the one logo concept will you implement it i'd really love to have a discussion about this so if you can join the logo geek community on on facebook which you can find just by heading over to logogeek.uk forward slash community it's totally free to join and it's one of the best places to network and connect with other logo designers from around the world so i'd love to see you there If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure that you are subscribed so that you can keep listening to episodes as they are released. And if you do enjoy the show, why not write a review? It's always so great to hear feedback from you guys. So if you can spare a moment to do that, it will be very much appreciated. So if you can do that, thank you so much. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you again next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.